Continuing our lesson this morning. Thanks for being here. All to the left. Um, <laughs> on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're skipping ahead today uh, to keep our schedule. So we were going to look at lust and we we're going to look at divorce the past two weeks. But good old, our, our friend in trial, COVID, decided to boost that. So we're going to do those at the end. Everything that gets moved by COVID gets moved to the end. So we're not skipping it. We're not afraid. <laughs> we're not afraid to look at lust. We're not afraid to look at divorce. No, we're just skipping ahead today. Uh, we're skipping ahead specifically to Matthew 5, 33 through 42, which talks about oaths and it talks about retaliation. Um, and we'll revisit those at the end. And yeah, just thankful that we can be back and we can feed our hearts. Hopefully the last two weeks haven't been too bad, but hopefully you've had a little bit of that feeling where you're like, yeah, we're missing it, but I really, I want to be with my family at church. I think he gave us that on purpose. So uh, before we start, would somebody pray for us, please? I'll pray. Yes, got it. Lord, we are grateful to be here this morning. Pray that our Sunday school class will uh, bear fruit of our discussion and in-depth examination of this passage of scripture. Lord, we pray for those who may be planning to come to church this morning. We pray for their safe journey. For those who are not able to make it today, we pray for them as well. That you would comfort them and draw them close to you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. And thanks for praying for that, Cliff. I on the way here had one of those like I'm gonna turn right guess not and just like went straight just sliding just me and this guy in this truck looking at each other sorry man <laughs> sorry to freak you out this morning uh, amen uh, so the title of today's class uh, are there I ask is Kelly here today I asked her for handouts yeah okay that's fine no handouts huh Okay, ooh, there might be a prize. It's so exciting. But the title of today's um, class is Jesus' Wisdom on How to Talk to Others and How to Treat Others. Again, again, we're pulling from this Christ-centered exposition book, specifically on the Sermon on the Mount. These books, every other book is like a book of the Bible. Sometimes they have four, like Jonah, Micah, Nahum, or something like that. This is specifically the Sermon on the Mount. I pulled a lot from the book today. So if you're ever interested, you can always look into it. But So thank you, Davey, for handing those out. Do you need one? I'm good. The main idea of the lesson, which you'll see there and you'll see on the board, is knowing that God sees our words and our actions, we must speak truthfully instead of falsely and act graciously instead of vengefully. So we'll break that down into two main, like two main points. Be a person who speaks the truth to others and be a person who serves others sacrificially. And before we dig into these points, if you haven't already, please turn to Matthew 5 again. Matthew 5, verses 33 through 42. We'll mainly be there. Every now and then we'll have somebody zip around to read verses. All right. Let's pay attention to God's word. I'm reading from the ESV. I have a heading that says Oaths, and then it says... Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no, Anything more than this comes from evil. 
And then I have a heading that says retaliation. And it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So, first, kind of looking at oaths. Um, as children, we hear the phrase, cross my heart and hope to die, or we would do like pinky swears, um, or I swear on my mother, or whatever it is. I don't know, if there's probably new ones by now. There's probably like phone type ones. I swear on my, I've, I don't know. Uh, but these phrases, they're often added to like a promise or a statement to emphasize how serious we are about the honesty or the truth of what we're saying. And although they're seemingly innocent little sentiments, it's interesting how even as children we begin, we, are, we start to be taught that there's this wiggle room, there's this variability in determining whether what we say is true or what we say is false and the need to make these extreme oaths to to emphasize that we're 100% speaking the truth uh, because of this extra thing that I've said, it reveals that there are other times in our communication when we're blurring the line between truthfulness and dishonesty. So this kind of stuff, this is an enabler. It enables us to think we can speak in ways where we are not lying and also not being completely truthful. And Jesus knows this about us. The Bible knows this about us. And we, take, we can take honesty and we can kind of put it on this sliding scale. He says there's truth, he says there's lies, and then we create this space in between. That's not very good. And you may be thinking, who cares? <laughs> who cares? It's not that big of a deal, especially in our culture. Uh, you may have many relationships in your life where this kind of communication has been cultivated and practiced to the point that it's, it's understood between you and your spouse, or it's understood between you and your friends, or it's understood between you and your family, this, this kind of area of speaking half-truths. Because I've proven I'm a good friend, so if I speak a half-truth, they understand. Or it's fine to say you're going to be there and not show up, because they're your family. They'll understand. It's not a big deal. Um, who are you hurting? Like, if it's all understood, then everything's all good, right? It's not a problem. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's getting very specific here, even about what we say. He's saying, no, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Telling the truth and being honest with our words is something we should all care about. And for those who follow King Jesus and are citizens of his kingdom, there's no debate about how important being honest is. And in these passages through 33 through 42, um, Jesus once again is correcting this misunderstanding, this misinterpretation of the scribes, and he turns the ethics of this world, and I could say in our culture right now, on its head. So we see again how the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. So let's look at these two sections um, that teach us and command us in how we are to talk to others and how to treat others. The first one being, again, 33 through 37. And the main kind of push here is be a person who speaks the truth to others. So in mine it says oaths. Does anybody have any different headings? I was just interested. Mine says oaths. No? Okay. So be a person who speaks the truth to others. Um, We live in this world today of these kind of alternative facts, which is a funny uh, statement. The idea that a man's word is his bond has become kind of quaint, but it's not really realistic anymore. And this is truly true. This is certainly true in our time. And it was true in Jesus's ministry at that time as well. So the religious leaders and the spiritual guides, they aided the people in their deceitfulness and they helped them in their perverting of the truth. And they had created this elaborate system of oaths, to create these loopholes for when they spoke to the people. And this is what Jesus is dealing with here in 33 through 37. So you'll see it on your handout. Uh, Could somebody read again? Let's do it again. 
Somebody read 33 through 36. We're looking at everything you say is witnessed by God. 33 through 36. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Thank you. You say simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Cool. So the, the way that the rabbis and the scribes, the way they develop their system of deceit, this is going to sound familiar. It's the exact same way that we do it today. The same way we do it by ourselves. The same way we might do it in our homes or in our churches. They took the truth. They twisted the truth. And then they started speaking that twisted version of the truth to as many people as they could who would accept it. Because some people are like, that's not right. But some people are like, okay, I know your character. I'll listen to you. And they spoke it to as many people as they could until it became semi-normalized. It's the way that anybody deceives anybody. Take it, twist it, throw it out, see who believes it, try to cultivate this environment of lies, right? Uh, can somebody look up Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23? Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23. So again, verse 33 says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So this is, it's not a direct quote from the Old Testament. They're paraphrasing from a text like Leviticus 19.12, which says, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So they're taking these little pieces, and they're changing them a little bit, and preaching them back. And Deuteronomy 23.21-23 through 23 is another passage that the rabbis and scribes would have stole from, if somebody could read that. Thank you. So the scribes, they created a couple loopholes that distinguish between speech not under oath and oaths not made to the Lord. So basically, they taught that you must be honest and keep your word to the Lord, but not necessarily to other humans. That was kind of the breakdown of what they're stealing. And there was, they're creating this this wiggle, this wiggle room with the truth. They're, they're putting it on God, but all this other truth out here, as long as you're truthful to God, that's fine. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, there seem to be certain levels of swearing by, too, I've heard it, in other words. If you swear by the temple, but if you swear by the gold of the temple, that's a little yeah. more important, you know. So. Yeah, Jesus talks about that later. We'll read that later. That's a really interesting part. <laughs> they just break it down. This swear by this, that's fine. This I don't know. This that's good. No, throw that out. This it's, it's so dumb. Um, but did somebody look up uh, Zechariah eight sixteen through seventeen? Zechariah eight sixteen through seventeen. So something else that we do when we create elaborate systems of deceit, other than taking the truth, twisting it, throwing it out, seeing who will take it. When we take the truth, and the, when I'm talking about the truth, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the Bible but it can be in other instances as well. When we take the truth, the Bible's so good that it defends itself. And what we tend to do is when we take the truth, there's this other truth over here that's totally going to refute it's totally going to refute the new truth we're making this this lie we're making. And we just kind of like hope that nobody finds that <laughs> or we just pretend it doesn't exist or we just oh it's a misinterpretation and whatever this is what Mormons do this is what a lot of people do. They take and then there's this other like oh, this is, nobody will figure that out it's fine. And if I have enough time I'll build up this environment of lies that by the time the truth comes it'll be so big that I'll be able to just be like oh no 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 no. And so that's something that we do. We do it on our own. We just deny, deny. Well, by the time the truth hits us, and somebody's like, what about this? What, what? And we, we see this in politics all the time. 
And then by the time it comes, it's like, oh, that's not, deny, 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 um, even though that's exactly what they did. And that's what the rabbis and the scribes were doing because here's the truth here in Zechariah 8, 16 through 17, if somebody could read that. Okay. Sure. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. And 17 as well. Do not plot evil against your neighbor and do not love to swear falsely. I hate this, declares the Lord. <laughs> I like that, that uh, translation. I hate this. Uh, love no false oath, he says. We just read this passage about how we're supposed to be truthful to each other. They're trying to convince them, only be truthful to God. With each other, it's not a big deal. Um, so some of the first century rabbis, they were lifting up, speaking the truth to God, but they were downplaying the absolute honesty in all communication. Jesus loves, God loves all truth. Truth is good. He loves all of it. So do all of it. And they're downplaying part of it. And as if people... They could keep promises made to God, but with each other when it was convenient. This sounds familiar, I think. When it's convenient, promises can be broken and it's not really a big deal. That sounds like our culture today. So Jesus makes it clear in verses 34 through 36 um, that disciples of Jesus are to be characterized by such honesty and integrity that an oath of any sort is completely unnecessary to add credibility to our words. And that made me think of, like, going to court and maybe swearing on the Bible. I don't, I'm not saying, I don't think that'd be wrong. It's just, it doesn't, as, as a Christian, that shouldn't, like, <laughs> if, you're, if you're coming up to swear on the Bible and you're like, okay, I really can't, I, I'm lying, I gotta, it's like, you should have said that before the time came, when you, when it was time to, you should have been like, I am wrong, I was wrong before. Now that I'm here in front of all these people, this is really serious. It's like, no, it's been serious the whole time. God's been watching the whole time. Um, so it doesn't add credibility to our words Um, don't swear by heaven don't swear by earth don't swear by your city don't swear by the loss of your head which is what they're talking about like kind of like needle through the eye when they're talking about um, here when he says do not take an oath by your head they're saying like cut off my head and all you know I swear by my head being cut off um don't swear by that either. It's not, a, not the best idea. Um, but it's not because those are pointless. It's just because there's something so much bigger. It's, it's God is sovereign over all of those things. Um, like he says here, he's sitting on his throne in heaven. He's resting his feet in his beautiful creation on earth. It's his footstool. Um, he's watching over every city on the planet. And he has determined before the foundation of the world the color and aging of your hair. These aren't things to swear by, just swear by, just, just be honest. <laughs> just do what God wants you to do with being honest. It says everything you say, everything you do and think, it takes place before the watchful eye of an omniscient and sovereign God who takes with the greatest seriousness the words that come out of your mouth. He has commanded us to speak and he is listening. So just... Take this very seriously, the things that we speak. Um, And along with that, could somebody read again verse 37? Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So this is echoed later uh, by Jesus' brother James in James 5.12. I've got it here. In James 5.12, he says pretty close to the same thing. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So it's always amazing to see the truths of Christ, like we see here in Matthew, to see that truth preached before Christ goes to the cross And then we see after the cross, it's proclaimed by those he saved by what he did on the cross, especially his own brother, James. So James, he's saying this for a really good reason. Um, John 14, 6. Does anybody, can anybody quote that? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father. (laughs) Yes. 
Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when you think about James saying this, and you think about what Jesus said, James obeys Jesus, and he instructs others to do so because Jesus is the truth. So for us Christians who claim to know Jesus, to have a personal relationship, like a personal relationship, um, be telling other people, you've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus, uh, to be worshiping, we're worshiping him on Sundays, we're coming to Sunday school, we're praying to him, uh, we're praying in his name over our meals. If we claim to know the truth, and we don't speak the truth, then what kind of a light are we being in this world? We're saying that I know the truth, I live by the truth, and then you speak these little convenient lies every day. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I didn't get that text. Whatever it is, um, it's just like, just tell the truth. There, there's no middle ground, and speak the way Christ speaks, And because we don't want to fall, the world's dark enough. We're supposed to be salt and light, and we don't want to add to this world of empty I love yous, or empty I'm praying for yous, or empty I'll be theirs, or empty how are yous. Just like, how are you? (laughs) It's like the way that we can, on the inside, we can just be like, I'm just saying it, I don't. um, I love those how are yous where somebody's like, how are you, and they just keep walking. That's a great, that's a great picture of this. It's like, I'm just, it's just something we say. It's like, (laughs) yeah, but it doesn't look good. (laughs) You don't really care. Um, Just mean what you say and say things that are true and good. That's what we need to do. Uh, Somebody please turn to Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22. Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22. So Jesus hates when people lie really remember that jesus hates it like he said in his translation hates it when people lie whether a big lie or a small lie doesn't matter it's a lie he hates it and i think we can see why jesus hates it so much when he says in john eight forty four, he says you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So lies have a root in evil and in Satan. It's not something we should play with. And we can see Jesus get heated about this even more in Matthew 23, 16 through 22. So we could read that, please. Woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, who swears by the altar swears by everything, swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Amen. Woe to you, teachers of the law. That's the old 22. <laughs> no problem. It's always nice to hear another one of those. Woe to you, teachers of the law. Throw that in there. So point being, like speaking what is true and good is commanded us at all times. And I think we can easily say that none of us are probably safe in this room when it comes to this command. I think we could say that. It's okay. And I think we can easily say that and... But Christ, who is the truth, is also the way and the life. And he's working in us to to get better at this. I don't think it's good to go easy on ourselves with this. Um, You've probably heard this passage before. But don't go easy on yourself. Um, Look at the way Christ speaks about dishonesty in these passages. In John 8.44 and in Matthew 23. Um, Remember, his righteous 
ferocity in these passages and have confidence that when you let your yes be yes and your no be no, even though it feels so dumb sometimes, like, that's how I feel sometimes. You, like, you feel like you're explaining and they're like, no, I get it, dude, calm down. You were late. It's not be-. Um, it can feel countercultural, but do it anyway because you're putting beautiful righteousness into this world. Uh, you're, you're showing Christ's illuminating countercultural character when you do that. Um, at the beginning of this sermon, he talks about being a light and he talks about being salt. This is part of that. It's being very clear about your yes and being very clear about your no, even if it feels meticulous in our culture, where in some cultures it, it would be totally like, <laughs> there's some cultures you don't show up, you're out of the tribe. <laughs> like, it's not okay. Um, and with us, we can be so... It's like the more communication we have, the worse it's gotten. It's funny. Uh, but before we move on from how we should speak to others to how we should treat others, I just want to get your take on like the kinds of white lies and kind of elaborate schemes we can develop in our lives, our homes, our churches, um, in our minds. So this passage, like I know, I know things that I've dealt with are like... Um, uh, saying I love you to people when I don't, when I'm mad at them, when I'm being hateful of them in secret because they've been frustrating me, or saying, like, we're okay when we're not. We're not okay. And I'm just letting this problem keep going. I'm allowing my grudge to continue to build. Um, or just the basic thing of, like, <laughs> I was thinking about this while doing this. I, uh, just that basic thing of, like, I'll be there at this time and it's funny, I like, I don't know if maybe I'm just terrible and all the military people are all like, oh, just be there on time, jerk. But like for me, it's like we develop this system of like, well, if they're at home, I could be late. I mean, they're at home. I mean, they're not going anywhere. I mean, they're comfortable. They're at home. But if we were meeting at a restaurant, I need to be at least, you know, be a little five minutes late because they're waiting in public and they're uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. If, if it's a funeral, I mean, if I'm late, I'm not going. Like, it's like we, like, develop this stupid system of, like, just, that's not, just be there. <laughs> just say when you're going to be there. And if you don't know, say you don't know. Like, it's fine. Just tell the truth. Um, I was thinking about that. But, so, this passage, uh, 33 through 37, about oaths, it, it teaches that the rabbis and the scribes would use loopholes in how they spoke and took oaths. Um, question for you guys. How are we tempted today to find loopholes in how we speak? Sure. Uh, I was wondering about something. You know, you see a lot of these prophecies about Christ coming and all that. And uh, you you know, it seems like they slur his first coming to the second coming. And you almost have to know where to draw the line between yeah. what's first coming and what's second coming because you're just reading right along. There's no so it's the truth, but it's sort of a little confusing. Yeah, <laughs> at times that's so. a that's a huge one with disastrous effects. I know people who have been destroyed by thinking he's coming on a specific day and then he doesn't. Their lives have. They have almost like it seems. I know that you can't, but it seems like they've lost their faith. Well, what I'm getting at more is events and things that yeah. he's going to do in his first coming versus yeah, that too. What's, you know, going to do in the second coming. Mm-hmm. People can take those things and even if they don't know which one is which, start to use it to kind of like cultivate certain like. Oh, I don't know if it's going to happen here, but I'm just going to assume it is so I can get my point across and things like that. Yeah, well, even Jesus himself, in other words, he's read one of his prophecies, you know, when, when he's reading there. And he stopped mid-sentence. <laughs> because the first half of the sentence was what he was doing now. Oh, yeah. Where the second half of the sentence is what he's going to do later. Yeah, for sure. So, it's... Yeah. You guys have this this stuff making you think of any of those little things, even, or big things, but these little things throughout your day, or maybe things that you can easily cultivate over the the course of a month 
just like this little slight untruth that sort of gets out of hand. I know it's not easy to admit. <laughs> Yeah. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> um, That's why, right when you say that, right for the right there on the spot. <laughs> Whether it's public or. Yeah. I, I think forgiveness is one too. So when someone has upset you, oftentimes we're quick to say, oh, I forgive you or forget about it. But we really are not forgiving them or we really have no intention of forgetting about it. It's like we're of this filing cabinet that just keeps building up like what you said before um, where you say oh it's okay but you're really not mm -hmm. in those moments I think we're too quick sometimes to say don't forget about it yeah. no or no problem yeah because that's not really how we feel I think most of the time yeah that's really hard yeah. how do you feel like you navigate that when you feel like God is saying, I mean, it's not feel. He's, he, is, he is saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. How do you think you navigate these times where it feels like that yes or that no can't be instantaneous? Like it feels like it's going to take a period of time. How do you guys handle stuff like that? Like when you're, you're like trying to follow the Bible, where you're like, I don't feel like I can absolutely say yes right now, but it's just going to take some time. <laughs> Yeah. Instead of being quick to say, oh, I forgive you, say, you know what, right now, I don't know how I feel. Mm -hmm. I, need, I need some time. I need to step away. I'll, I'll come talk to you in a little bit, or I'll call you tomorrow. Or yeah. I think we need to just be honest that we don't, we're not ready to say, I'm sorry, or I forgive mm -hmm. you, or whatever, and you just have to pause versus saying an untruth. Yeah. That'd be I think, a... I think we struggle to do that. Definitely. That would be an amazing, like, oh my goodness, such an amazing witnessing opportunity um, if a non-Christian had done something to you and it was brutal and <laughs> you were having trouble and you told them, like, listen, I'm trying to forgive you. God forgave me for so much worse, but I am a limited human being and he's working in me to try, like, to actually take the time to share that and have them be like, what the heck? <laughs> like, I was so mean to this person and now they're like, humbly telling me about their process of forgiving that's based off of this love from this God that I don't believe, like, it's so nuts. So that's what it's like. Like, even so, the point being, like, the yes can not necessarily be instantaneous, but inside of that, I think God gives us a freedom to share even more about the truth um, when it comes to a yes or when it comes to a no. And I, call me crazy, I feel like sometimes our brains can be like, no, like, if it's some weird thing that's just a gray area i'm just not going to deal with it i'm just going to push it aside and we don't see the positive side of it where well if i take the time to be really honest about this with the bible as my my core this might work really well and they might understand and even if they don't they're still going to hear the truth i'd rather them hear the truth than not hear the truth so um why do you think that we lie or tell partial truths like is there an underlying motivation? Is there a broken desire of the heart? Especially as Christians, so we're Christians. So from a Christian standpoint, why do we, why do, we do this still? Why do we lie and tell partial truths? We may not want to hurt somebody. Okay. Is that sometimes, for anybody here with, with that, not wanting to hurt somebody, is that sometimes you kind of do this sort of scribe Pharisee thing where you're like, Love your neighbor as yourself, so I'm not going to tell the truth. You know, it's like, start just balancing this thing. Do you do that? Do you guys do that sometimes? I think for me, I mean, that can group a lot in, like, what Cliff just said and some other things in the fact that if I tell the complete, honest truth, then it's going to create more work and more conversations when it's easier to say. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 
And like, I don't know, like the big thing here, especially that the book was talking about, is just every single opportunity to tell the truth is an opportunity to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Like, even to the slightest thing, like I was thinking about growing up in high school, I would, my parents would be like, is your homework done? And I would say yes, because I had a system. I was going to get it done later. <laughs> I would get it done every single night. But what happens the night that something comes up? The night that something comes up, I don't get it done, even though I said it was. So even inside of your warped system where you're saying that it's done when it's not done, something could come up and then you've, right there, you've failed. You've told a lie and people have seen. And uh, I don't know. It, I, I don't know. It's crazy to me. One second. It's crazy to me to just think of how insane this passage is with our culture. Like, if we were all so truthful, that alone, like, to, it's, and that's how the Sermon on the Mount is, but if we would just do this one thing, people would be like, that, that, that group of people is great. Like, they're so honest. It's so weird. What are you going to say, Henry? Well, part of lying is, you know, to keep ourselves out of trouble. Yeah. Did you do this or that or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And the other view is, you know, yeah. you want to make the other person feel happy. Yeah. Because, you know, hey, do you like this? Not really. <laughs> But I, yeah. I think a really good a really good example of that 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 half truth where you're trying to get yourself out of trouble is Adam looking like well this woman you gave me showed me the fruit it's totally a half truth it's like you ate it though come on man like I realize you're saying partially the truth but you're and you're blaming you're looking come on man that's messed up so <laughs> justifying Yeesh. justifying uh, so secondly, let's look at a, be a person who serves others sacrificially. So we talked about talking, let's talk about walking. Uh, may someone please look up Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. So our words and our actions, they often go together. If life is a journey, uh, what we say and what we do are often these traveling companions. And since God has specific instructions on in how we should speak, he, of course, has specific instructions on in how we should act. And Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 is pretty sweet when you're looking at this. Uh, you can see how he groups together words and actions. But these are words and actions of things he cannot stand. Um, so if someone could read that, please. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. That is some pretty bad stuff. Uh, when I was reading that, I, find it, I found it interesting how every sinfulness in that passage, um, which this is Proverbs, this is long before the cross, but every sinfulness in that passage was used in, the, in Christ's capture, in his trial, and in his crucifixion. And Jesus allowed these things, talked about way back in Proverbs, that God hates so much. He allowed all of these things to happen, he, he deeply and profoundly hated them, but allowed them to happen so that he could defeat sin and death and now give us the ability to serve others sacrificially like him. So in verses 38 through 42, Jesus teaches us about the issue. This is specifically about retaliation. Um, as we're talking about this, just keep thinking about Christ. Keep thinking about him walking toward that cross and all the things that had happened to him up to that point, the things that were people spitting on him, everything, and how, how much he could have retaliated. Uh, I think that is a really keeping that image. And the next time it happens, keep that image of Christ walking and just being so humiliated, not even the person who deserves it the absolute least, um, and not retaliating. Um, so he teaches us about this. So although... Vengeance is the Lord's, and one day Christ will have his justice. Christ's sacrificial walk to the cross, that is one of our greatest examples of not seeking retaliation. So even though Christ's retaliation, it would have been, I realize he was getting something done, but I think we can agree that retaliation would have been totally just. Um, 
He chose not to retaliate for our sake. And we need to remember that. Um, God has been very clear. This is from Deuteronomy 32:35. Vengeance is mine and recompense, like the payment, uh, for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. So just remember, it's not our job to retaliate against other individuals. That's important. Individual retaliation. Um, so let's look at that in verses 38 through 42. We're looking at do not retaliate against evil with violent aggression. Could somebody please read verses 38 and 39 again? Okay, so in verse 38, Jesus is directly and partially quoting from multiple texts in the Old Testament, uh, from Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And this quote concerns the law or principle of retaliation, which was originally given to guide the courts in their judgments, but not to guide individuals in exacting revenge. So the goal was to ensure fair and balanced judgments and sentences to be applied without discrimination or prejudice in the legal system. So Jesus... He didn't oppose the legal application of it, but he opposes very much its use to justify acts of personal revenge and personal vengeance. So D.A. Carson, he comments, the law at that time, the law was thus being dragged into the personal arena where it could scarcely foster even rough justice, but only bitterness, vengeance, malice, and hatred. That's why it's so important to remember that Christ, that God is sovereign over our governments, even the really bad ones. He's sovereign over them. Um, But with this, he's looking for this personal application of being like Christ. Somebody look at Romans 12, 17 through 21. Romans 12, 17 through 21. So Jesus goes even farther to say in verse 39 that we shouldn't resist evildoers, meaning we shouldn't relate to them as our enemies. That's what he's saying. But we should relate to them as our neighbors, like he teaches us. Love your neighbor. Um, we should be love. We should be loving and kind instead of hateful and harsh, and we shouldn't be bent on substituting anger with getting even. Like, I'm not going to get mad about this, but that guy's time is coming. I'm going to get him. We shouldn't do that either. And Paul echoes that in Romans 12:17 through 21. If someone could read that. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. That says it all. And uh, looking more at verse 39, it says, If someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. So he says, But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I remember remembering this as a kid a lot and slapping each other in the face and laughing. Um, but the word, the word slap here is the same word used for when Jesus is blindfolded and slapped by the Roman soldiers in Matthew 26, 67. So that kind of gives us a good, talk, a good context in how to apply this verse. This is a slap that is intended to embarrass you, um, a slap that is attacking your pride. Uh, This passage isn't saying that if someone jumps you in a back alley, you should let them beat you into unconsciousness. Uh, This is a slap against your character. Um, If you're seeking to have the character of Christ, though, Jesus has made it clear that his character will never be diminished. It's kind of like Superman being shot. There's nothing really happening. But because we're human beings, it doesn't mean that it's not difficult. Um, We're still sinners, and we're not yet glorified. So being purposely... disrespected in this way, this way that Christ has clearly identified that people will do to you to give you an opportunity to be like him. Being purposely disrespected and embarrassed in this way, it's going to be insulting. It's going to be hurtful. Um, But again, if we be like Christ, that insult and that hurt is only temporary. Again, thinking about Christ walking to the cross. This is a temporal situation. 
And on top of that, if we turn the other cheek the way that Christ did, what God is saying is that we're actually we're glorifying him and we're bringing more light and salt of Christ into this world. So when we're doing that, even though it feels so feels so much like we shouldn't <laughs> somebody, I realize it's not literally going to be a slap every time. Um, even though it feels so like I'm supposed to retaliate. Of course I, I just got slapped in the face. Come on, guy. Like everybody, even the people around me are like, ooh, um, oh man. And that, that's in all sorts of forms. You know, you could see that with like that father treated that son so badly for 10 years. I'm not surprised he didn't show up to Thanksgiving or something like that. That's more, it's just like whatever it may be, um, treat him so bad and then said this awful, totally unjust thing to him in front of everybody, you know. And it's like, when we do what Christ is saying here, we're living up to being that image of Jesus Christ. Not only does it glorify God, which is great, um, we're living up to being the image of Christ, which is being a salt and being a light in this world. It's, it's like an immediate attack on our sin nature and how our sin nature wants so badly to retaliate. Even our instincts feel that way, that, that kind of instinct that a lot of uh, people away from the Bible have decided, oh, these instincts must tell us who we are. It's like, no, Jesus says, yes, that's who you are, but I am better and I have come to change you. It doesn't have to be who you are anymore. Um, so someone may not always literally slap you, but you guys, are, are you tempted to retaliate when someone is embarrassed or insulted or mocked you in other ways? Are you tempted to retaliate? How would you retaliate if somebody did something like this to you? I realize the answer right now is to not retaliate. <laughs> but what are you tempted to, have you encountered this kind of thing? Are you encountering it now? Is there somebody who every day, or this person that you kind of avoid because every time they see you, they have this tendency to just want to embarrass you for some reason. You've become their punching bag. Has anyone been through something like that or that was your situation? I see a lot of nods. I we all have. <laughs> I'm ready to call out someone as a liar if they say no. But um, for me, I've struggled with this, I think, a lot professionally lately where oh. I feel like I'm, um, you know, things have been said or actions have been taken that that aren't in line with my character. You know, like I've been mistreated. Yeah. Um, and in my initial reaction is defensiveness. Yes, I want to retaliate. I want to vocalize <laughs> what I'm thinking at that moment. Um, thankfully, I don't. I practice mm -hmm. restraint. Um, you know, I may vocalize it to Sean <laughs> to get it out of my system. But, um, but yeah, I think that initial defensiveness, it's we're quick to mm -hmm. to push back and retaliate. Um, but like I said, obviously the right answer is not to. And and usually for me, I can I can practice restraint, I can talk to Sean about it, I can back off from the immediate situation and really let it, you know, process it in my head. Mm -hmm. And then I don't feel as vengeful. I don't want right. to retaliate because then, you know, I've calmed down and I understand their limitations, my limitations, you know, I can give you better perspective. Yeah. But my initial reaction is definitely, I'm going to get you because <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely, man, you're making me think of at least two things that Christ said. One, you have said so during his trial. You have said so. <laughs> like, and I doubt he rolled his eyes, but yeah. it's like, he did this, he was there, he did this. And, one's like, and the other thing, uh, they know not what they do. Like, it's so, it's so simple, and I hate to say this word about the Bible, but it's so cliche, but it's so true. Like, they don't know. They don't realize. They're, they're limited, and they're just throwing out these judgments that are completely unjust. What are you going to say, David? I was just, like, I, I don't think I am naturally prone to, like, be physically pugnacious or, you know, quick to fight. I just don't like it. You know, right. Stay away from the fight. But what I find myself doing is if, if I feel my character is like impugned in some way, then one of the first temptations is, well, the only way that other people are going to know that's not true is if I impugn, if I show how bad that person is. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, so, but the gospel thing would, 
to do would be to say, yeah, I'm probably far worse than you, yeah. that they say I am, uh, and so Christ, only Christ in me, like that's all I have. Yeah. I, somebody posted this Spurgeon quote on Facebook the other day that was, uh, I think he was like directing it towards pastors, but he was saying like, you know, don't, don't really get all bit out of shape if other people are saying like really bad things about you because you're probably far worse than what they're saying. <laughs> yes. Just pointing to Jesus. Like, yes. That's so true. It's like, why do we need to defend our, ourselves yeah. uh, when we're sinners? Yeah. That's I, like I a... There's a place where we do need to speak. Like this kind of, you got to hold these first two digits because there is a place to speak truth and to say, no, that's not true. Here's... Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of like if what you're worried about is the fact that other people might think that you're this this type of person that you're not, well, there's far worse things about you they don't know. Yeah, yeah, man, it's uh that whole system causes so many problems. Not even just this, just so many problems in so many parts of our life. Just the system of. God says, draw near to me and keep your eyes on me and just not doing it. It's really like that very basic system. We're just like, I'm measuring myself against Jesus. I'm measuring myself against Jesus. What about this guy though, over here? <laughs> just start measuring my, oh, I'm better than him. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and it's like, uh, like, I mean, the Holy Spirit's within us. It's walking with us. But sometimes because that's so hard for me to understand what I, and maybe this is wrong. Sometimes because that's so hard for me to understand, although I'm trying to get it more, sometimes I think about Christ walking next to me. And if, if, I'm, <laughs> if people are cutting me down and I'm standing next to this guy, like why am I <laughs> defending myself? There's no defense to be had. Um, he is the example. Um, I need to measure myself against him. Um, can somebody read verse 40 again? We're looking at... Where demands abound, let grace abound even more. Verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Nice. So Jesus, um, here, earlier he was talking about like a dishonorable insult. Now he's talking about like a legal attack. So, and we kind of got to fly through here, but he uses the relatable illustration of the tunic and the cloak. Um, Some of you may have heard this, some of you may have not. I did not, so for me it was fun. And this time, the tunic was this sort of long inner garment. It was worn under the cloak next to the skin. And it was made of wool or linen and was often used in bartering or making payments. So that's kind of understandable why you'd use the tunic. But the cloak, it was the outer garment and it was considered far more valuable. And in fact, in Old Testament law, it said that the poor should not be made to surrender their cloak. Even the poor kept their cloak. So it was used as a coat, and oftentimes it was used as bedding for those who slept outside or even inside. So Jesus here is saying in a legal attack, the Lord, the Lord will be your defender. The Lord will be your provider. Don't worry about this. But what you need to do, he commands us to show this radically unselfish attitude. This is an opportunity to show a radically unselfish attitude. The kind of attitude that amazes the world. The kind of attitude of why people who don't even believe in Jesus are still talking about him to this day. The attitude of Christ. So to give only, not only just your tunic, but to also give your cloak as well, the thing that there's no reason you should be giving. Give it to them as well. And uh, in verse 41, it says, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Um, on your sheet, it says, always be willing to go the extra mile. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, this phrase very much annoys me. <laughs> because I, I feel better now, though, having looked at this. But it annoys me because usually it means I'm at a job and some guy wants me to work more for the same amount of pay. That's usually what that means. Uh, but uh, I was very humbled by what it really means. Um, it comes from a beautiful context. And we definitely get it from verse 41. So in Jerusalem, in that time, Roman occupation. And the Roman military, what they would do is they would often make the Jews assist them. That just at any time, they'd be like, help me with this. A good example of that is Simon of Cyrene, uh, when he's forced to help carry the cross of Christ. There's like, you, carry his cross, in Mark 15, 21. 
And with the Jews, this humiliated them because it was just this constant illustration of their oppression under the Jews, just like at any time, some Roman can maybe do, do a dance or whatever. And what Christ is saying is when these Jews are required to assist a Roman soldier for a mile, and you're like helping them get a task done for a mile, if you're not there, keep going. Like, keep walking, get them closer to their, walk the whole way. Um, again, it doesn't sound like it makes sense, but the opportunity that he's helping us see is this opportunity for this unselfish, this radically unselfish attitude to have a Roman who's oppressing you be like, why would he do this? And it's because that, the reason for the extra mile is because that first mile is, it's, it's, uh, even if you're doing it out of love, it, it's under the, the veil of obligation. But that second mile, that's where that compassion really starts to come out. And I think there's a lot of people in our lives where we, I know I can go, I can go further with that so they can really see it. And every time you do, almost every time I do, God has been very, think, uh, very good to me where they know. They're like, why are you doing this? Are you going to say, Henry? Well, at the time that that was the law, in other words, a soldier could get stroked anybody mm-hmm. to hey, carry my load for a mile. Yeah. And then, of course, after the mile was up, you could walk away. Yeah, and I'm sure and a lot of people are like, done, just <laughs> walked away. And he's like, don't do that. What are you going to say, Sean? Jesus is giving us an opportunity to retaliate in a constructive, positive way. Yeah. Yeah, it's more retaliation being stopped. Well, no, I'm saying like oh, sorry. retaliation. Um, oh. Good. Yeah, okay. And so you're still you're still putting forth that energy and that effort retaliating, but it ain't possible. Mm. So it's like I feel like I need to do something about this. That'd be nice if we could react that quickly. Like smack. Oh, I'm going to love you so much. <laughs> love you so much. <laughs> uh, sorry, just because just of time, Henry. Um, can somebody read verse 42? Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Awesome. So this last example is uh, when the hurting person who clearly needs help is begging for assistance. So Jesus says to jump in with sacrificial love at that time. So again, um, in the Old Testament, it repeatedly affirms helping the poor. The Bible constantly talks about helping the poor. Um, And I think in our society, this has gotten kind of warped and people have maybe gotten a knee-jerk reaction that's too much, while at the same time, maybe some people have gone too far. So you have to keep the context of the time is that the Jews, they would have rather died than asked for help. That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with people, if they're asking for help, they are at their last rope. They have given up all of their pride. Um, and in, in this kind of case, like God's like, you know that if they're asking for help, they really need help. Um, so don't lecture them, don't shame them, but feed them and help them. And above all, we should share with them what God has given, given us and make it clear to them um, that what they are receiving from us is coming from him. Uh, the motive is simple for it. If we've been helped by our Heavenly Father, um, where our need for forgiveness as sinful beggars and uh, spiritual beggars was greatest, then we should be helping others. And it says in a... I'll jump down there. In First Peter... Well... Now, let's look at this. this. We'll end with this. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So just remember, when it comes to how we speak and how we deal with retaliation, um, how we act toward others, it's not about, like, finding it in yourself to just do better. It's We've been given the ability to do this by Jesus Christ. And that's why he's telling us to do this. And he's also, there's an interesting question in this book where they, it's an interesting question, but basically what it's getting at is 
The reason that he's telling you to do these things is because he does them and faith in him is what gives you the power to do them. So look at the fact that he's telling you to do things that he totally did, have faith in him because he did them, and then do them, right? And he's given you riches. Uh, Me and Kayla got to watch It's a Wonderful Life at the very end, just crying. And at the very end, it's just like that uh, his brother, right? His brother walks up, he's like, George, you're the rich, George Bailey, the richest man in town. It's not like the movie's over. It's like he's going to keep, like George Bailey is going to keep doing this. He's going to keep being this giving man the rest of his life. It's just now he's finally realized that he's rich. He's finally realized that. We have to realize that every day. You have to re-realize that. That's why you preach the gospel to yourself. Remember how rich you are. You have so much to give. Even when you're like in that moment where I'm like, I'm so tired. I don't care. The baby. I don't care. (laughs) It's like you're so much richer than anybody else who doesn't have Christ. Give it away. Give it away in the way you tell the truth. In the way that, like, if you're the richest man on earth and somebody, like, gives you a wet willy, you're not going to do anything about it. It doesn't matter. Like, I don't care. I have so much money. It doesn't matter. It's like, in fact, I'm going to give you some. So, that's kind of what we're getting at. Any last comments? Sure. Well, yeah, Mike, I look at it too. Uh, you know, just a plain worker's experience, you know, do a good job instead of just doing enough to get you by. True. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm.